Today's scripture reading is from John 17, 1 through 6, and 17 through 23. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page 773 in your worship Bible. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you, whom you have given him. This is eternal life. And they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they kept your word. Now to verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you, Bev. Appreciate that very much. This is a very beautiful and intimate prayer which we have recorded for us, which Jesus himself prayed. And it's just quite beautiful to uh, hear his own heart as his ministry is completed and he begins to take the next step, which is going to be a step onto a cross and into a grave. So this is an important passage point in the, in the Gospel of John as John describes us, what Jesus was thinking and feeling and what was on his heart and how it is that the Jesus talked to the Lord just before he went to, uh, went to the grave. And it's quite poignant for me to think about having a window into Jesus' personal prayer life. We know Jesus prayed all the time. His prayers are, uh, the fact that he prayed is all over the New Testament. And it was a, a signal aspect of his life. And we have the disciples even saying, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to see how it is that you pray. Uh, but we really don't know much about Jesus' personal prayer life. We have, of course, the Lord's Prayer, which we recited earlier. But that's more of a model prayer of Jesus telling to us how it is that that we are supposed to pray. But in this prayer, we just have Jesus's unedited, you would say, or simple words about prayer as he talks to the Lord. And it's got a rather poignant, I think, to think about that. And so uh, in part because of that, and in part because this is something that I uh, think about every August, I want to read for you a few words from my own prayer journal from October 4th, 2011. I have it written down at 413 at a Village Crepery and Coffee Shop. So this is from 
just about six years ago. It begins with these words, Ecclesiastes 11.4. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. And here's what I wrote after that. This verse was texted to me by Allie's mom today. Where's Chris? You gone? She's in there? Okay, there she is. These ver so the text I wrote was one which Allie's mom, who sang with me, had texted me that day. And she wrote these. Allie, she said, quote, When I read my daily devotional today, I pondered this for myself, and then I thought of Steve. The text is, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. And I wrote this then, touche. It spoke to me. This proverb describes me perfectly, Lord. But what am I to do? Are you calling me to start a new church or not? How will I know? Is it simply a lack of faith on my part? Help me. You see, Allie and Chris knew, and Steve knew at that time, that I was contemplating something which very few people knew. I was contemplating moving out to start a, a brand new church, the church which now exists, but at that point was feeble writing on a piece of paper asking God, is this really what I ought to be doing or not? And I had, we, I would rehearse with uh, Allie over at their place with her mom and, um, and, uh, once in a while, we would talk about this and uh, that this was something I was stewing over, thinking about doing, but I felt just so terribly inadequate. And perhaps that's why when uh, Chris read that text out of Ecclesiastes, he that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. I had written down, back to the verse for the day, as providence would have it, today is a cloudy and windy day. What does this proverb mean? It, it is possible to so intently gaze at the environment that we fail to plant the crop. There's never the right time, the right uh, conditions. At some point, you need to say, right time or not, I must get the seed in the ground. But I am so afraid, terrified really, of what? A failure? I've already been through that. Of raised eyebrows? Yes, to a degree. I care what people think of me. I don't want them to question my decision. I don't want to appear foolish before people. It's possible I say this to my shame, that I care more for the approval of man than I do for simple obedience to you. Even my brief hints to others have been disappointing. I hear, I want people to say, go for it. You should do it. Even as I write this, I wonder about that. Of what am I afraid? Am I afraid to misread your will? Am I afraid of a church planting that is my idea, that is mine idea and not yours? Am I afraid to think wrong about all this? How am I to think about this? Am I really to imagine that God will say to me, quote, Steve, why, don't you go, why did you go off and try such a foolhardy thing? <laughs> I'm really to imagine that that's what God... Would he be disappointed in me for attempting a worthwhile project even despite past failures? No. But what am I supposed to do? 
that little window into my life was sort of an occasion in part because I knew that Ellie and Chris were, and Steve were going to be here today, and I've never forgotten that. And I thought, I know I have that written down somewhere, and I remember uh, chatting with them, and it meant so much to me, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Because even at that point, I hadn't made a decision. This was in September of that time. I knew I needed to make a decision, um, and it was so hard for me. And here we are now, six years later. We started that church basically a year after that. I mean, we started in the spring after that as well. It was a few months ago later when I sat in a Bible study with Brian and, uh, and Brad. Uh, and uh, uh, the names escape me now. But anyway, the other couple that was there that day um, and uh, their families and told them at that point, the first time I'd actually officially said to anybody who might be, I think I'm going to go off and start a church. And Brad said, let's do it. And that was such an encouragement to me to do that. And so here we are now, six years later. And I had talked with you as well, hadn't I, man? Yeah, uh, about all that as well. Uh, there were only a handful of people who knew I was wrestling with all, uh, with all of this. Um, and, uh, and, and yet uh, this window into my own thought and prayer life is important because every August I try to take a moment to sort of talk about our church as a whole, what we're about, how we got going, what, so that you have an idea of knowing something. Uh, because as you know, when we started this church, we really just had a handful of people. Um, we had no income, no backing, no nothing really. We just ended up, I, I knew Larry, and he said, uh, yeah, sure, you can have an Easter service here. And then later he said, um, you know, you can meet here every week. And so we just have met here every week and we just refuse to quit. You know, at first people would say, when are you going to move to a real church? And I think, well, this is the church, right? We're the ecclesia, the people of God. And we have loved being a part of this community. And I've loved the opportunity that has given me to be able to be uh, me and us to be recognized as a, as a part of this community, in, uh, uh, integral to the life of this, uh, of this community. I'm so grateful grateful and thankful. Um, and so I feel a little bit okay to let you see this personal part of my own prayer life back then. So you can see something about the, uh, uh, the, the angst which was going on in my mind as I thought through the prospects of having tried this. And also because this is what we have in the Gospel of John when we see Jesus's actual prayer life. It comes at the end of his ministry. He's just spent his last evening with his disciples. At this point, he, from here, he will go into the garden to pray, and it is there that Judas will betray him. Um, and, and, and the soldiers will arrest him, and the religious and political leaders will accuse him of blasphemy and insurrection, and ultimately, he will be condemned to die. He's got less than 24, 24 hours to live, and he's here praying just before he goes into that garden. We see him at, at prayer. And as I said, unlike the Lord's Prayer, which he gave as an example for us to pray, this is Jesus' own words as he reports back to the Father. It's a beautiful prayer. We see something of the intimacy of Jesus' relationship with his Father. As he essentially says in the fourth verse, I have completed the work you gave me to do. I've so been challenged at various times in my life that Jesus lived with a, a basic rhythm in his life that allowed him to say, I've finished. How many of you feel like you've never finished something? <laughs> you just, it's just like this. And yet Jesus could say, at the end of this short ministry, I've completed the work you've gave me to do. And he could say at the end of his life on the cross, it is finished. 
I love that sense of doing what it is that there were so many more people to have been healed, so many more things to have been done, but he was doing what it was God had called. I love completed the work you gave me to do. Then he goes to his disciples and he says, uh, then he goes on to pray for his disciples and he says, I have given them the words you gave me and I ask you to keep them in his name as I send them into the world. He prays for those 12, those guys who are there with him. I have given them your words, he says in verse 8, and I ask them ask you to keep them in your name that's verse 11 and so i sent them into the world verse 18 and all that is quite beautiful but here's the most beautiful part in where he says in verse 20 after reporting to the father and after praying for his disciples he begins to pray for you for us he prays for those who will follow him verse 20 i do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is praying for all those who will believe in him through the word of those disciples. And if you believe in Jesus, you are part of the group that Jesus was praying for that day. Jesus prayed for you. That is so encouraging, encouraging to me. Uh, uh, he, and, and, and he prayed that, uh, that, that God's will would be done in your life and in my life and in, and in his church as it extended beyond him. So let's ask a simple question. What did Jesus pray for that day when he prayed for me? What did Jesus pray for that day when he prayed for us? First of all, he prayed that we would be strengthened by the word of God. Strengthened. By the word of God. It's all the way through this, uh, this chapter. I couldn't print the whole chapter for you. But in verse, uh, 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 verse 8. I have given them the words you gave me. And, have re- and they have received them. And have come to know in truth. That I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Verse 14. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. Verse 17. Saying them. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. One thing that's really important for us to remember as a church is that we must be strengthened by the word of God. That when we come together in this church, we always read the word of God. I always try to teach the word of God and I try to help us apply the word of God to our lives. Jesus knew that they need to be built on a solid foundation and the solid foundation that he wanted them to have was their was his word. He had said it already in chapter 14 and verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And verse 17 is chapter 15 and verse 17. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. The word of God is central. And so in the church which would follow Jesus' ministry, he wanted to make sure that they never forgot to be built upon his word. That's why you remember we sang this little silly song, Ecclesia, at the beginning of the song. It's really not quite so silly because it helps you to remember the three things that are important. We're called to faith, gathered in love, and sent with hope. What is it we're called to faith in? Not just faith in faith, not just faith in general, but called to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel means good news. Good news is a word which has been spoken. Jesus came announcing the good news. He was full of words about the coming of the kingdom of God. As we sang earlier, there is a kingdom and it's here today. 
Yes, so arise, church, he says. We need to be built upon the word of God. So we're called to faith in the gospel of Jesus. And that's why at our church, we've always got an emphasis on teaching the Bible and on telling the big story of the Bible. You know what story that is, that epic drama of God's great rescue project for his beautiful, broken, rescued, and ultimately renewed creation that God has made a beautiful world. And he's, but it's been, it's been marred by human sin, and so it's broken, though it has a memory of the good world that God made for us. And we are broken within it so that we no longer have immediate access to God or fellowship with God or fellowship with one another, even fellowship with this world or fellowship even within ourselves. We're full of angst, just like you saw me in that reading of that, my little prayer earlier, that inward angst of uncertainty. Jesus came to rescue us from that malaise. And so God third part is the rescue project. It began with Abraham. It continued through Moses. It ultimately ended up in Jesus who died on a cross for our sins so that he could rescue all of us for him so that he could ultimately remake and bring new creation. He was the first fruits of that by being raised from the dead. But we have been given the Holy Spirit, new creation planted in our hearts so that we can become the true humanity that God meant when he created this world. This is the big story that God is telling in the Bible. And each of us is invited to be a part of it, to lay aside all the other stories that we give our lives to and instead believe that there is a God so great and so magnificent who loved us and gave himself for us and who can be trusted even through the hard parts of our lives. We respond in faith to that story. We're called to faith in the gospel of Jesus. And that's why as a church, we try to tell that story all the time to be reminded of that story. That's why we do it every week. That's why we want to be strengthened in the word of God. It's so important to do that. And so before I move on to the second thing Jesus prayed for you, I ask you, have you ever responded faith in faith to the good news about what God has done through Jesus? Have you ever received that word for yourself and say to him, Lord Jesus, I respond in faith to you. I trust you. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for the gospel which you proclaimed. Yes, have you ever responded to that? And then also, also, are you a kind of person who regularly exposes yourself to the Word of God by by reading it or by sitting under the teaching of the Bible as we come here on Sunday mornings or by getting into a small group where you can read the Bible? These are so important. Our church is called to faith in the gospel of Jesus. Jesus prayed that his followers would be strengthened by the Word of God. That's the first thing. The second thing Jesus prayed for, Jesus prayed that his followers would be united in the love of God, united in the love of God. And this is absolutely vital to what Jesus was doing. He wanted them to be united in the love of God. Listen to what he says in the 20th verse and, uh, and, and, and following. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me who believe in him because of the word of the original disciples. Those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23, uh, uh, verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you 
sent me. Jesus prayed for this group of disciples and those who would follow him, that those who would follow Jesus would become a community together, a new humanity, if you will. Humanity not defined by ethnic boundaries, not defined by even uh, uh, gender boundaries, not even defined by um, uh, by uh, uh, um, you know, by political boundaries, by econo- socioeconomic boundaries, by uh, geographic boundaries, all those things that break people up. He was creating a brand new humanity, and he wanted that, th- those who responded in faith to him, to understand understand that they're part of a community. You know, everyone needs to belong somewhere. We all have a need to belong. It's hardwired inside of our hearts. We will do almost anything to gain love and acceptance somewhere where we fit in. Jesus prayed that his followers would understand that the ultimate place of acceptance is in the arms of the God who loved them and gave himself for him, and also then in the fellowship of those who were also in the arms of Jesus. So our relationship is a deep and abiding relationship. In the United States, we're often so individualistic, and we even sing songs like, And now it's Jesus and me for each tomorrow, for every heartache and every sorrow. I know that I can depend upon my newfound friend. Yeah. And so to the end, it's Jesus and me. It's not Jesus and me. It's Jesus and we. Jesus and we. Jesus didn't just die to save individuals. He died to make a new community, and he prayed earnestly that in that new community there would be a unity within it, that they would be one. And notice the intimacy of these words as he says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may be in us. It's a beautiful intimacy. It's an intimacy that comes out of the mutual connection that we have with Jesus, with God through Jesus Christ. He says, I want to invite them into that unity, that we can all be one love always seeks to include not to exclude love always seeks to involve not to devolve love always wants to bring in and jesus says we have such a great relationship father i want you to bring those crazy disciples and the ones who will follow them into connection with us that they may be one just as we are one so that the glory verse 22 that you have given me i have given them so that they may be one just as we are one i and them and you and me so that they may be perfectly one could he have made it any more clear that Jesus expected that throughout the ages of history that those who responded in faith in him would find themselves vitally, integrally connected to one another as a community, not just watching TV on church, not just worshiping God in nature, as valid as all those things are, not just seeing God in a book or in a movie or having my Jesus and me experience. That's not what Jesus died to do. He died to bring us in relationship with him so we could have fellowship. So there's a whole new community. That's why in the early church, this emphasis on unity was so important. The apostle uh, James said, hey, when a rich guy comes into your church, don't treat him with special favors as if he's better than everybody else. Treat him just like everyone else. You know, when the apostle Paul said in the Philippians chapter 2, 
Make my joy complete by being of one mind together, not looking out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And Jesus, we'll get to this point later, but Jesus says that's how the world will know that Jesus is alive. You and I can't see Jesus. Others can't see Jesus. But when they see Jesus in communities, they'll say, there must be a God who loves me. Look how God has brought those people together. And so we are gathered. The second thing in our little silly song, we're called to faith in the gospel of Jesus and then gathered in love as the community of Jesus. Called to faith. Gathered in love. That's one of the so beautiful things for me is to think about that. <laughs> I have to admit, reading this for you seemed like a good idea when I was at home. But when I was actually reading it in front of you, it did not feel quite so good. <laughs> I feel pretty weak when I read that, you know. But what's so beautiful to me is that those stumbling, faithless, fearful, fear-filled responses to the God who was gently prodding me and letting me know that if this was going to succeed, there's going to be no human reason for it to happen. <laughs> Even you, preacher, right? I want a church there. I got it all figured out. Would you just shut up and get out of the way and go do it? I know you don't have any money. You know, I know you're scared. I know everybody thinks it's foolish. I know. I don't care. You know, I feel like uh, uh, Gabriel speaking to uh, uh, um, Zechariah, John's father. Is anything too hard for God? <laughs> is anything too hard for God? But the reality is, that's exactly how I felt. And, uh, and, and what's so beautiful for me is to think that down the ages, I'm able to be a part of a community where together we gather to hear the word of God. And I have the privilege of teaching it each week. And I'm also being able to be a part of a community where there's love. Think of it. Think of it. The gospel has brought us together. Right, Mike? It's brought us together all the way from New Jersey. Right? Yeah. The gospel has brought us together. And it makes us part of a family. Families fight, but they don't quit on each other. Right? That's the definition of a family. Right? Families don't always get along great. Families have to put up with stuff sometimes. And uh, uh, whether it's a long-winded preacher or whatever it might be. But they hang in there together. And families are made up of people of all different kinds. Everybody's got that crazy uncle in their family or that uh, political uh, you know, person that you just don't. But they're your brother. They're your sister. They're your uncle. They're your aunt. They're your kid. They're somebody. They're your family. And your relationship is stronger than your differences. It's that kind of thing that Jesus wanted to create. So he brought rich and poor together, black and white together, man and woman woman together, Jew and Gentile together, people who were very distant from one another, they became a new kind of community so that the world took notice. It's that that will communicate with people, the love of Jesus. That's why it's so important for you to find a spiritual home. I'm glad, I'm very glad that you have spiritual life because of faith in Jesus Christ. But if you are a spiritual infant without a spiritual family, you will not make it. We need a family. If our family is your family, we'll be delighted to have you in it, even if you are a little crazy. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> right? 
That's because it's not about, you know, our political persuasions or where we live on what. It's not about those things. It's about the blood of Jesus Christ, which brings us together. Remember the little tune I sang for you about a month or two, a couple months ago. I wrote a long time ago. We are a family. for Christ has made us one. His blood is flowing through our veins. We're sisters and brothers, daughters and sons. We're a family. Jesus didn't just die to save individuals. He died to make a new community. And that community was meant to change the world. That's the third thing. Jesus prayed that we would be strengthened by the word of God. He prayed that we would be united in the love of God. And then thirdly, he prayed that we would be sent on the mission of God. He meant to rescue people and bring them together as a community so that together they could be his representatives in this world after he was gone. That was the genius of what Jesus was doing. That's why he says in the 18th verse of this chapter, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Oh, that's a, that's a beautiful and terrifying thought. He has sent not just individual Christians, but collections of Christians in community into the world to be his representatives in that world. As you sent me, so I've sent them into the world. Oh, my goodness. He says, as you have sent me. How was it that God sent Jesus? He sent him humble and weak, serving giving his life for the poor, calling into question the powers that be. He was a, sometimes making people angry, but ultimately laying down his life for those whom he loved. He sent, as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus is sending us. So we go into the world, into our brokenness and our humility. We go and meet in the place where pain happens, and we bring the love of God there. That's what Jesus did. We don't run from pain. We run into pain. We don't hide from it. We share it. We bear it because we have a God who bore our pain. We go and bear the pain of others. We are sent on the mission of God. Verse 20, he goes on to say, I do not, this is a text we just looked at, but we hear it again in this context. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe on me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, on me, and I am in you, so that they may be in us, so that the world may believe. The unity that Jesus wants us to have as a church is not just so we get a good feel good whenever we show up, but the unity that we are meant to have is the kind of unity that other people take notice so that the world may believe. Jesus said, Jesus didn't say the world would believe because of all of our great doctrine. He didn't even say the world would believe because of all our holy purity. He said the world would believe when they see his followers living as one. He said it a few chapters before. He said, by this shall all love one another. As I have loved you, you also much love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have loved one for another. John 13, 34 and 35. Yes. He goes on in verse 23 to say, I in them and you and me, him and the Father, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. We've been sent on the mission of God. 
And so as we began to reflect on this potential new church, I was challenged by this idea along with others in the scripture. That's why we developed the statement that we are called to faith in the gospel of Jesus, gathered in love as a community of Jesus, sent with hope on the mission of Jesus. We live in a world desperately needing hope and looking forward in all the wrong places. And yet we are sent with hope on the mission of Jesus. So I can encourage you to commit yourself to the mission of God. As a church, we've tried to do that right from the very beginning. We always try to make sure that the resources that were given in through our offerings, that at least a tenth of it went away from our church ministry. That's one reason why we are so quick to adopt the uh, you know, Good Sam ministry, because we want to serve people out there. We're also helping to start a church in, in, uh, in, in Whittier. Next year, we're going to be adding a new missionary to our, our, our giving as a church, because we want to be giving away, blessing others. But it's not just about money. It's also about serving in any kind of way that we can. I'm grateful for the privilege to represent you in this way. Well, as Jesus prayed, he then walked from there into a garden and walked from there up on a hill and he gave his life. Jesus was one who was willing to follow the word of God, who was deeply in love with God and willing to accomplish the mission that God had for him. And because of that, we can say, thank you, Lord, for being the God who gives to me the good news of your word, who gives me a community to be a part of and gives me a purpose to serve you, to do your mission in the world. We live in a broken world still, and we are broken as well. But God has given us hope, and he's given it ultimately through the person of Jesus who gave his life for us. Let's have prayer as we close. Our Father... We thank you that you did not shrink back from what it was the Father called you to do. Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that you completed the work and that you loved those disciples all the way to the end and that on that hill you could say it is finished. You could say, Father, forgive them. We're grateful. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for the five years you've given to us, for the people who have joined in this beautiful venture. Help us to be faithful to Jesus' prayer, to be strengthened by your word, to be united in your love, and to be committed to your mission. And may we today respond to that. And maybe there are some of us here today for whom this is the moment we say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me that much. I respond in faith to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have before you today the Lord's table available here and over here, maybe elsewhere as well. And you're welcome to share in the Lord's table. Don't feel as though you have to, but you're welcome to share.